0: Like things that can hold you back in in any area of your life, but especially when you're putting your voice and your message out there. Like I remember some nights waking up at like two a.m. and going and canceling episodes I had scheduled because I'm like, I don't know if I can do it.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Money Self Made. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, the original mentor and inspiration behind why I started Money Self Made in the first place, and was able to bring this podcast to even one episode. Her name is Kate Erickson, and she's the engine behind award-winning, famous podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, which stars John Lee Dumas, her husband, as he interviews entrepreneurs who are truly on fire. And her goal is to help entrepreneurs achieve financial and lifestyle freedom. And I think she's doing a really great job of that goal. As you will see in today's episode, we talk about starting your own business and how to get your own podcast going. But we also dive into a lot of really actionable tricks about just how to get your life organized, whether you want to start your own business or just get less busy and have more free time on your hands. She is the founder and host of the Ditch Busy podcast, where she teaches you how to optimize and organize your time and your life and live the life of freedom you're truly after. She is also the co-author of the podcast journal Idea to Launch in 50 Days. She had a whole corporate career where she figured out how she could be really effective, really efficient, and she shares those tips with us today. She also talks about podcasting and we dive into too, how to start a podcast if that's something that interests you and then we also just shoot the breeze about what it's like to be an entrepreneur and how to pursue that dream if that's something you're interested in. Even cooler, she shares tips on how she moved to Puerto Rico and why. So I think you're really going to enjoy it no matter whether you're an entrepreneur or you have a day job. If you implement some of her tactics, you are sure to get promoted. She is busting with incredible automation and productivity tips on how you can optimize and outsource your life and save yourself a ton of time. You are going to love it. Before we get started, please remember to smash that like button because it is the only form of payment I ask for this free content. Please hit that like button. And if you're listening on the podcast, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. So you never miss another episode. If you're watching watching on YouTube, hit that notification bell. Thank you for tuning in. Without further ado, please welcome Kate Erickson from Entrepreneurs on Fire. Welcome, Kate.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to hear that about your podcast. Congratulations on it. Love the name. Love what the message that you're sharing, everything. And thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. It's a
1: pleasure to have you. And thanks for coming. Are you calling in right now from Puerto Rico? Yes.
0: Oh, wow. So it's a town called Umacau. It's on the southeast corner of the island um, in a community called Palmas Del Mar. So we're like 45 minutes from San Juan. It's a great community, awesome community members. We've met so many incredible entrepreneurs, people, other people who have moved from the States. Puerto Rico has like the most beautiful culture and people. So it has been, we just celebrated five years
1: here, actually, which is crazy. Very cool. So, what caused you to move out to Puerto Rico? I love digital nomading and I've heard there's a really cool startup business culture out there. Is that true?
0: Yes, absolutely. It's like growing by the minute, it feels like, (laughs) which is so fun. So, initially, John and I, we had had the business going, we had a lot of systems in place, and we had taken a couple of vacations to Europe, which was a huge, like goal of ours. And we're like, wow, we can do this. And our business keeps running. This is amazing. Um, And we wanted to travel more at the time we were living in San Diego, which is such a paradise and beautiful place to be. And it's also quite far from Europe. <laughs> Originally, we were thinking, what if we went someplace where leaving wasn't I don't want to call it a chore, but just it made it really super easy for us to like up and go. San Diego was just so comfy for us. We had an awesome community there. That's my hometown. So my family's there. So I was always cool with just like being with my family and all of that. So we started looking at places and we were thinking like, maybe let's just move to Spain or South America or let's really spice things up. But I don't really know that that felt super right to either of us. It's great to talk about, (laughs) but you know, there are a lot of like stops involved in that. Then a friend of ours was like, why aren't you guys living in Puerto Rico? And we were like, I guess we've never thought about it before. Why do you love Puerto Rico? He told us about an act called act 2022 now known as act 60 which is basically an incentive for people to bring their businesses to the island. And if you export services with your business, then you pay a flat 4% tax. So we were like, whoa, at the time we were paying like 50%, <laughs> which was a lot of money. And um, so we thought, wow, we could move to an island, get a really cool like cultural experience. It's part of the US, so we wouldn't have to worry about like visas or anything like that. We'd be way closer to Europe and we get to save massive amounts on taxes. So here we are.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, my husband recently also picked up on, I think something along those lines, and we're looking at between Puerto Rico and Portugal. So we're gonna Oh yeah. We're going to go visit later in the year. So I'm definitely going to say hi. And Kate is so helpful. I listened to her podcast devotedly. And then I had many questions for her as a thought leader. How many podcasts do you have? Because I know that one of my favorites is Ditch Busy, but I have a feeling you have a few others. Tell me more about those.
0: Yes. So um, Ditch Busy is the most recent podcast that I launched um, in the beginning of 2020. And then I also have a podcast called Kate's Take, which I produced for five years. It's still out there and available. And I launched that in 2014. Cool thing about both of these podcasts is people are still tuning into them every single day, which which, like warms my heart to know that you know how much work a podcast is like, it's not (laughs) a walk in the park by any means. And it's very time intensive and requires a lot of TLC. So to see people still tuning into the podcast is awesome. Um, And then I am one half of our bigger business, Entrepreneurs on Fire. So we have the Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast. And um, we also have a couple other podcasts. My partner, John, does uh, a podcast called The Daily Fire. He does one called The Daily Refresh. And then we also have just kind of like set seasoned podcasts. So we have a free podcast course, which we have a podcast podcast, for our free podcast course. I know very meta of us. And that is just like a set number of episodes. We don't continue publishing to it or anything. So we are definitely into the podcasting game.
1: (laughs) Yes. That's even more than I had researched and I stalked you pretty in depth before the show. So that's incredible. (laughs) I I have to ask just doing this podcast has been such a full-time job. So Hopefully you've stumbled upon some really excellent tools or automation resources to help you produce all of this, or you're just a maniac and don't sleep. So what is your...
0: (laughs) Oh, man. So we launched... John launched Entrepreneurs on Fire in 2012, and he is so driven, so focused, so motivated, so systems-oriented that he created like this epic system for daily podcasts. His podcast was daily for... 2,000 episodes and we have such high demand for like guests on the podcast that it, after episode 2000, he went to three times a week, but now we're back up to six times a week right now because we just have so many amazing entrepreneurs to interview that we, we started kicking out more episodes again. With all of John's experience, we had so many people coming to us asking, like, how can I start a podcast? So um, we created a load of free resources. And this continues to kind of be like one of the main ways that people find us or hear about us is through um, a completely free course that we created called free podcast course. And then um, we also have a podcast masterclass, again, completely free, um, It's an on-demand kind of like workshop style of how to create, grow, and monetize your podcast. And then we also created this like epically um, awesome podcasting course and community called Podcasters Paradise. And we have over 3,500 members in that community. We've been running it since 2013. We have an incredible Facebook group. We have a membership site with video tutorials and resources and templates and all the good stuff for creating, growing, and monetizing your
1: podcast. And of course, this podcast exists today. I have to credit you and your resources. So thank you so much. It really helped me get it off the ground because. I was so overwhelmed in the beginning. It was great to have that template and resource.
0: I'm so glad to hear that. It is a lot. Like it's easy to think, oh, podcasting sounds awesome. I want to do that. But then of course, like so many things in entrepreneurship and business, it's like, okay, how do, like, what do I do now?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely. Did you, when you started Bootstrap, did you edit your own stuff until you were able to hire it out or did you hire it out from day one?
0: Pretty unique to, I mean, I know there are a lot of podcasters that do this and keep a lot of stuff in house, but we've always kept everything in house. Um, I've edited every single one of my, I don't know 500 something episodes. John has edited every single one of his over 3000 episodes. Um, so we've just come up with like really great systems and processes. We absolutely have a virtual team who helps us with like uploading and scheduling. And so there are parts of like the production process that we do pass over to our internal team. Um, but for the most part, like we stay pretty close to the, technical production of like recording and editing and that side of things. Um, we have an incredible team. One of our VAs, JM, she does our show notes for us. Um, one of our VAs, Tipu, is incredible. He's kind of like our audio visual guy. He makes sure that all the episodes get uploaded to Libsyn and that the players are on the website and all of that kind of stuff. So In terms of like hiring for it, I mean, there are a plethora of podcasting services out there these days. It's almost like so many that you, again, you don't even know where to start. Um, But there are some incredible companies that offer really reasonable like editing services, promotional services, especially given like the training and stuff that we provide. It's really helpful for us to be that close to it, to be the ones editing our stuff and to be the ones like knowing the softwares and the programs and the processes and all of that. So we can share that with our students. But of course, totally get people who are like, I can record this. I don't want to do anything else. And yeah, there are really, a lot of really great podcasting companies who can help with that.
1: And then one of the things I always found really remarkable with you is your presence and your speaking skills. So did that just kind of come naturally from filming and recording yourself? Or did you ever find a resource for how to have that, you know, at presence when you're on screen or on mic? Like 90%
0: of it was just doing it over and over and over again. When I first started my podcast in 2014, like I actually started it because it was the one thing that made me more uncomfortable than anything else. <laughs> I was very uncomfortable getting on the mic. I was very uncomfortable. Like I had all the imposter syndrome of what do I have to share? Who's going to care? Why would anyone listen to me? Like all of these like very, you know, like things that can hold you back in in any area of your life, but especially when you're putting your voice and your message out there. Like I remember some nights waking up at like 2 a.m. and going and canceling episodes I had scheduled because I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. Very real scenario to be in to think like. I don't know if I can do this. I definitely had all of those doubts. But what kept me going was continuing to do it, continuing to think like, if this is making me really uncomfortable, that means that I should do it because then I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm expanding. Um, and that's really the only way to get past those blocks. When you feel like so uncomfortable with something, you're never going to be comfortable doing it if you don't start doing it. So it's definitely been a long process of a lot of iteration, a lot of practice, um, and a lot of being okay with things not being perfect.
1: <laughs> I love that so much. I know I uh, talk to all my friends or like, you know, when I talk to people about having them on the podcast and they feel shy, but they're extremely successful and really do have something interesting to say and they kind of think someday it's just going to hit them that this is going to feel natural or comfortable. And that's so not the case. It's reverse. You have to do it in order for it to feel comfortable. And I feel like I'm kind of finding my groove now, but the first episodes were tough. I think what I love about your show as well is you do short episodes on your own, like 10 to 15 minutes. And those are the ones that I struggle with, like conceiving an idea of what to talk about planning a show and let's see what else just kind of talking on my own feels kind of scary and awkward too. So do you have any tips for that? Yeah,
0: definitely. So I've heard this from so many people who do interview podcasts, but it's funny because not funny. It's awesome because uh, like 99% of the time when interview podcast hosts put out to their audience, like, hey, what would you think about a solo episode with just me? Their audience is overwhelmingly, like that would be amazing, which totally makes sense. Your audience is tuning into your podcast because they love you and they like hearing from you and they value what you have to say and the way that you say it. One of the like huge humps that I think for a lot of people who are used to interviews, like just chatting on their own for all the reasons that you said, like coming up with the content, how to format it. And then like just kind of the overall beginning awkwardness of just talking by yourself. We um, share with people that once you do an interview, if there's like pick out one or two things that really stood out to you about that interview. So like for as an example, after our chat is done, you would think like, I really love this conversation that Kate and I got into about X, Y, and Z. And you would literally just hit the record button right after we finish our interview. And you would just talk for like five to 10 minutes on that thing. This is why it resonated with me. This is the other thoughts that I have about it. This is how I think it could help you, my listener. And that I think takes out a lot of the pressure and the overwhelm of like, what am I going to talk about? What am I supposed to do? And that is awesome because you've just created two episodes like back to back that you can publish, you know, over like they could be two separate episodes. So I think that's kind of a cool way to Get your feet wet with it.
1: That's actually really, really genius. Great advice too, because you're warmed up after a conversation. I've always noticed I'm like ready to keep talking once I've done one of these interviews. So yeah, great idea. I love that. So have you built podcasts as a standalone profitable business and entity, or do you typically use it for lead gen in marketing, or is it just a passion project?
0: All of those things. <laughs> um, when John first launched Entrepreneurs on Fire, um, he definitely wanted to build a business out of it, but I just don't really think he knew exactly how he was going to do that. He was just very confident that he was filling a very strong void in the marketplace and that he was going to be providing a huge amount of value to people who really wanted and needed it. Um, so that was his main focus at the time. So I guess in some ways you could call that a passion, but he also wanted to generate revenue. He quit his job to do it. So, <laughs> and then once he started growing an audience and, uh, I'm using him as an example, but I've treated my own podcast the same way. And I'll kind of give an example after of one of my podcasts. Through the process of growing an audience, then he started getting a lot of people reaching out to him like, I'll go back to my Podcaster's Paradise example. The only reason that we ever created that community is because we had so many of our listeners reach out and ask, like, how do I do this? I struggle with this. I don't know what to do. And so that was our cue. And that's how we've created every single product or service we've ever created in our business is through listening to our audience and our audience telling us like, I need this. I don't know how to do this. Of course, we haven't acted on every single one of those requests. But when we hear something time and time and time again, it's a great, to be like, oh, wow, our audience really wants and needs this. So it kind of started out like he knew that he wanted it to be a business. He knew that he was only going to use the podcast as his foundation for that. Once he built an audience, uh, he started bringing in sponsorships and coaching clients. And then he started kind of building a business around it with requests like, I would love for you to be my coach. Um, I want to know how to podcast. We create a podcaster's paradise. Um, I feel very alone on my entrepreneurial journey. I don't have accountability or support. We created a mastermind um, and so on and so forth. So it kind of like different iterations and different chapters. And now it is the podcast at the foundation with a business around it.
1: I love that. And I'm a huge fan of Entrepreneur on Fire. Did you and John conceive that together? Or was he already doing that project before you met? How did that uh, inception story come about, and how are you involved?
0: Yeah. So we're partners in business and in life. <laughs> um, And so John and I started dating back in 2011, and we were dating for probably about a year at the time that he came up with the idea for Entrepreneurs on Fire. So it was his idea to do this podcast. We were both working corporate jobs at the time, and he quit his job to start the podcast. And so it was... It was a really cool beginning because it was fully his idea and like his baby, but we were living together and we were together. And so I was, you know, watching and learning and like brainstorming. And and so I felt very much a part of it from the beginning, but we didn't really know that we'd actually be working together. That was never like built in or baked into the idea Um, that we would team up on this. It was kind of like he was going to run with this idea and like build a business out of it and. It wasn't until about six months later when he started getting all these ideas for mastermind, for podcasters paradise, for these products and services that he was like, I can't do this alone. He had one virtual team member who's still with us today. Actually, you know, he needed to start building out a team that could help like support these courses and products and services that he wanted to offer. So he asked me if I wanted to join the team and. Looking back, like my knowledge of how he started the business, his vision, his mission and everything that went into building it, it was so great to have that as like a base and a background coming into the business because I felt already like very connected to all of that.
1: I love the whole power couple thing as well. It's always great when you're in love with your business partner, that really helps.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's made the journey like really special. I mean, uh, to have a shared vision and mission and goals is like has only brought us closer in a relationship. So it's very unique. I know that it's not for everyone, but I feel very blessed that it is for us.
1: Yeah, that's how my parents are. And that's kind of the relationship that my husband and I are cultivating. So I'm all about it. Awesome. Cool. What called to you about the entrepreneur lifestyle when you were in corporate, and how have you sort of made that transition? And congratulations, because it's harder than I think it looks, and then a, and harder than a lot of people admit so yeah I'd love to know more just how was that transition for you and how have you helped other people on that transition?
0: Thanks for saying that. I completely agree with you. It's a tough transition. like I know a lot of entrepreneurs that say that they've been entrepreneurs since they were like seven years old selling candy bars on the side of the street but like that was not me. <laughs> I didn't even know what entrepreneurship was until I was like 26 years old. I went through college thinking like I'm gonna get my degree and then whatever my degree is, that's the job I'm gonna get and then i'm going to climb the corporate ladder and hopefully one day i'll be a manager with a six figure check like fingers crossed let's see what happens <laughs> it wasn't until like 2010 i'd been working in a, a banking job in a human in their human resources department for like 3 years and for those entire 3 years i was the like front desk person basically just like really awesome at my job but my job wasn't really that fulfilling or challenging or anything else. Um, It certainly didn't feel like success to me because I had been doing the same thing for three years with like no promotions, no raises, not like nothing. That's kind of when I got to thinking like there's got to be something more than this. I don't really know what that looks like. I know some people like do what they want, when they want, how they want with who they want. And it was a couple like tough experiences at that job. Um, One of them being I had planned a vacation. I I absolutely love travel again, back to like John and I loving traveling to Europe and kind of being like digital nomad. Like you said, I planned a vacation and I booked the tickets. I was so excited that I was going to get this time off. I was going to go explore. I was going to Hawaii. My came back to me and was like, actually... Um, this person has that time off. So you can't go anymore. Because of course, again, I was at the bottom of the ladder. So everybody else had <laughs> a hand up on me um, in terms of like getting time off and everything. So I was like, Oh, wow, this is pretty brutal that like somebody else is literally determining whether or not I can take a trip or not. That doesn't seem right. And I don't like that. And I don't want to live my life like that. Maybe like within a month or two of that, I was up for a promotion finally. And I was thinking, wow, I'm finally getting paid back for all of my hard work. Like everything's going to change from here. Um, and I was promised the promotion and it was within the company. And so I thought, well, this is great. Like they're recognizing all the hard work I've done, yada, yada, yada. And then um they ended up hiring outside the company for that position. So that was kind of the second thing where I thought to myself, there has to be something else. Didn't know what it was yet, but I said, I'm going to save up as much money as I can over the next six months. I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to figure out what else is possible because there's got to be something. So that's kind of how I leapt into entrepreneurship. And it certainly was not easy. I learned a ton of lessons on that first go. Um, that was not when I joined Entrepreneurs on Fire. That was actually, I tried to start my own business and that failed. I learned so many lessons from that. So it really wasn't a failure. It was a blessing. But at the time, I'm like, wow, okay, maybe I can't be an entrepreneur. And yeah, that's the roller coaster of it all. Like you said, it's not easy at all, but so worth it.
1: Absolutely. I think it's just great that you have the resource that you've created for entrepreneurs because I got bit by the entrepreneurial bug pretty early. I was selling you know, cards and stuff on the grocery store corner but at the same time once you do get a little higher in corporate it just gets harder and harder to leave the pay gets better um you know they make it more perky so yeah it's it's a tricky balance so when did you know to take the leap or did you already have a full-time business going strong before you did when you finally did kind of hit on something
0: no I mean I felt like if if I could have like gone back in time again I guess what I probably would have done different is I would have stuck out that job and tried to start the my business on the side, but not really knowing any better. I was like, Nope, just clean break. I'm done with this job. I'm out. <laughs> uh, what that did was just put me in a tough position, not knowing anything about entrepreneurship or running my own business and only having a six month runway. So if I had, or like, at least I could have kept my job and figured out what entrepreneurship was so that I kind of had like a foot forward on that. But that's why I'm so passionate about sharing what we share through our business now is because I was this person that didn't know that that was possible. I didn't know that you could just choose to not work in corporate. I thought that that was what everybody did. And so that made it kind of I guess, a little bit easier to say, everybody does this, everybody experiences this. And so I think that's what kept me in corporate for so long. But I think that, you know, at the time, if I knew that there were other options that I had that choice to start a side hustle and see where it went, or to start a business and learn from, you know, the people that came before me, um, I was just so green to all of it that I, kind of like false started, I guess. So I I did end up going back to corporate, but I went back to corporate with a thought in mind that I'm going to use every ounce of what I learn in this job to like inform and push me forward for my next entrepreneurial venture. Because I knew even though I failed at my business, I wasn't going back to corporate for life. I was going back to corporate out of necessity. And that whatever I learned in that job, I was going to be taking with me into my next entrepreneurial venture, which happened to be entrepreneurs on fire. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to slice it. And I think that's different for everyone, depending on their circumstances and budget and, and all kinds of different things. But yeah, I'm just so I'm grateful it happened the way that it did. Cause I learned so much that I'm able to pass on now.
1: And to speak to I think you did it the right way or, you know, there is no right way, but I was the one that was hoarding knowledge, entrepreneur knowledge and emergency fund forever. And then Mm -hmm. I went to analysis paralysis because I knew way too many things, but I hadn't taken any action and that's so key. So I was just sitting on this huge emergency fund, uh, really freaked out and not like moving forward. So I think you did it the right way. Otherwise, analysis paralysis is is a, a symptom that can occur. Absolutely. <laughs> Very cool. what advice would you give to somebody who was in your situation when you were in corporate in terms of how somebody should maybe go about becoming an entrepreneur? after, after absorbing a lot of content first, like with your wonderful podcast and maybe getting that emergency fund going, what would be the sort of next steps? Would you say
0: to just start? I mean, you're never going to have a perfect plan. Nothing that you put out is ever going to be perfect. Um, You're probably going to take like a hundred lefts and then a hundred rights right after, Um, so just like, like you said, that analysis paralysis will get you at every turn, um, and just continuing to remind yourself and having the mindset of like, it's okay if I take the next step and it doesn't end up being the right one, because even if it's not the right one, I'll figure out that it's not right. And I'll be able to correct course. And I feel like that's what held me back for a really long time. Like I kept waiting for the right next step, not realizing that like, it's not about taking the right next step. It's about taking a step. Because no matter what you choose, what direction you go, what you try, you're going to learn so much from that. That's going to inform the next step. So just start, put a piece of content out there, write a blog post, do a video, like anything, create your social media handles. Like it could be such a small step, but it will get you moving in the right direction. You'll get that momentum going.
1: I totally agree with you. I I really love that idea, um, and I would say even if you fail, exactly like how much you'll learn. And we should like compare notes on our business failures at some point. But it, it's actually like a great resume builder to start a business. And every time I've started a business, I've gotten job opportunities in whatever business I started. Uh, like I built a fitness app and then got um, like a fitness SaaS product job opportunity because they really like to see that entrepreneurial streak, and then I. I had a personal passion for it. So definitely, but figuring out the right step can always, don't worry about it. Just move forward. I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. So podcasting as a business, where do you see podcasting going next? Just somebody who's really in the trenches of it. Do you, do you think it's going to evolve as a business, as an industry, or do you think it's kind of um, where, it, where it's going to be? Yeah. I mean, I
0: see a lot more um, within the past few years, business, already existing businesses picking up on how powerful adding a podcast to your marketing mix can be. And I think that that's a really powerful thing for people to consider is like, if you have an existing business, a podcast can be an awesome channel for you to communicate and provide value with your already existing audience. And it's just like one more layer of value, content, consistency, building that know, like, and trust, um, giving people a different format. I mean, the beauty of podcasting is that if you only do written content or you only produce videos, you're missing out on probably a huge portion of people that would love to follow you that don't want to sit down and watch a video or don't have time to read a blog post. But a podcast is so awesome and has like such a low barrier because. You can listen to podcasts while you're working out, while you're driving in your car, while you're doing your dishes, while you're, you know, any number of things. I do it when I'm walking my dog sometimes. So um, it's just a really powerful connection channel and can create a really intimate relationship and a great feedback loop for you with your audience. So that's kind of what I see a lot of recently as businesses being like, oh, wow, okay. I mean, like Trader Joe's started a podcast and they're like, there are a lot a branded podcast coming out I think that's awesome it's just giving more notoriety and attention to podcasting as a whole which also helps you know indie podcasters like ourselves who aren't like a huge brand and we don't have like NPR studio and money backing us but we still have a message to share and value to share with an audience and we can do that too I
1: love that so much and that brings me to my next question which is something that I podcasters Struggle with. And I've kind of got my own strategy for this. But basically, when you create a blog or when you create a video, you have the behemoth of the search engines behind you where people can search and you can optimize things. Whereas podcast podcasts as they exist right now don't seem to be as easily searchable. So what's a great way to surface your content and get listeners and engage people and get people to listen? What would you say?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'll first say that I, I think that there's a lot of movement happening in that area. Like now Google returns podcasts and search results um, I do think that there's a lot of like awesome stuff to be said of what Apple Podcasts is now doing with their ability to have people search on the platform for specific content. So. As podcasters, I think we really have to pay attention to not just the name of our podcast, but the title of every single one of our episodes and the description that we put and how we're um, using SEO and keywords to our benefit. Because just like you do in a blog post or when you post a video to YouTube or when you use hashtags in social media, I don't think that they're doing hashtags in podcast descriptions yet, but you can still use those same principles when you're uploading your podcast and tagging it so that it carries that metadata with it. That's one side of it. I do think that that's getting better. Um, the other side of it is like getting found, growing your audience, gaining attention for your podcast. One of our like greatest strategies that we use ourselves on a regular, very regular basis and what we teach our community as well Is guessing on other people's podcasts because John loves to say podcast listeners listen to podcasts. So if you have a podcast and you can connect with other podcasters to do interview swaps or to create content for one another's shows, maybe even just give shout outs to each other's show as kind of like an ad read. Um, this is a great way if the podcast is aligned, of course, and if the audience is an audience that would be interested in what you have to say, then I think it's an awesome use of your time to do what I'm doing right now, which is being very graciously accepting of an invite to come on your platform and to be able to share value with your audience, connect with you, build a relationship with you. And so I think Podcast guesting is like such an incredible way to get your name out there. And if you do it consistently again with an audience that's aligned with yours, it's, I mean, it's like free marketing, right? If you go on and you provide value, people are going to either be drawn and interested in what you have to say or not. But if they are, then they'll come check out your podcast, your website, et cetera. Great
1: advice. And how did you go about getting your first sponsors? Like, how did you go about that step and how long did it take you to get there? So Entrepreneurs
0: on Fire is was like kind of a special, special case in this regard, just because of the timing of the podcast and everything. Um, John actually had people reaching out to him. Um, about sponsoring the podcast, which was incredible. Um, he also was very strategic in the beginning about reaching out to authors who are coming out with books so he would do searches on Amazon or just like within his network and circles and if he knew that somebody was coming out with a book or based on his searches on Amazon had like just come out with a book he would reach out to him if the book was applicable to our audience of course and say like hey would you like to run an ad on my podcast I have this many listeners this is what what I can offer you. And I'll be advertising your book to, uh, you know, an engaged audience who's listening and who loves reading and educating themselves. Um, so that was one of his strategies very early on is just reaching out to individual authors and asking if they wanted to promote their book, which he had a lot of authors say yes to. Because when authors publish books, they are looking for any type of media or placement that they can get. So that was really great for him In any other circumstance where maybe you don't have advertisers approaching you and maybe going to authors isn't your jam, (laughs) for whatever reason, the same way that you would think about like, which authors would I reach out to think of that for companies, products and services, like our audience is entrepreneurs, and they are naturally drawn to know what tools we're using and what software we use and what CRM we're using and, and all these other resources that for us, it makes sense to sit down and think like, okay, what are the resources that we would recommend to our audience? just make a whole list of those. Like, doesn't matter if you think that they would advertise with you or not, just like a complete brain dump of anything and everything you think that your audience would be just naturally interested or drawn to. And once you have that list, like put it in a priority order, maybe like... You could either start with the ones that you think would be the lowest hanging fruit, or you could start with the ones that you think would be the best fit for your podcast and your audience, and then just start reaching out. I mean, sometimes an email or like a message on social media can go a long way. Companies are looking for exposure. So if you have the right audience for them, There's nothing for you to lose in reaching out to them and saying, Hey, I have a podcast. This is my audience. I know that this is the perfect audience for you. They're super engaged and I have sponsorship opportunities. Just wondering if you would be interested. So something as easy as that. And you might have to send 50 of those messages to get, you know, five yeses or a couple people interested, but it's a start. That's very cool.
1: That kind of brings me to one of my favorite. Of your shows, which is Ditch Busy. I think that was my first Kate experience. And it was one of the very, it was one of the things that inspired me to go out on my own and start a podcast. But I really liked one episode where you talked about how you carried over those corporate skills, as was your plan into your entrepreneurial life and already just interacting with you. So organized, so on point. And I know if you want to have guests and sponsors and be managing all these moving pieces, especially as a one person show, as many entrepreneurs are, you need to optimize and automate. And it sounds like you have that really dialed in, especially with your partner. So what are like maybe a top five to 10 list of things that you would recommend an entrepreneur do to stay organized and make sure that they're really coming across, buttoned up to outside partners and uh, managing all of the things they have to juggle in a day?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with task lists um, or to-do lists or project lists or whatever you want to call them. Um, I think so much of the overwhelm that we experience on a day to day basis is literally that a lack of organization. And if you can organize things and have them um, like have a running list of the things that you need to do organized by priority, priority, or due date. Like even just having that alone is such a weight off your shoulders and such a huge part of your brain power that you're putting to bed um, over not having to like, remember what you're supposed to do or what you need to do tomorrow or what's due next week. So just alone, having a task list or a to-do list that you can add to um, and prioritize and put due dates on is massive. I use Asana. It's A-S-A-N-A um, for my task and project management. I literally, I use it with my team as well, but I have my own task list in there. So every single day, the very first thing that I open up on my computer is my Asana task list. And so immediately I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not wondering what I should do. I'm not thinking like, oh, I got to do this. And I remember that I was supposed to do something yesterday. What was that? And then I'm like flipping through papers and going crazy. Like everything's in my asana and I never have to second guess. Like, am I working on the right thing right now or not? It's going to take a while for somebody who has never done something like this before to get all of your tasks and projects and things in a software like this. But I can guarantee you it will change the way that you work like a hundred percent that is step number one. (laughs) So if it means just like spending an hour doing a brain dump and creating a task list of every single thing on your plate right now, that is a great place to start. Also just a huge fan of creating systems around the things that you do repetitively. So I created on my podcast, Kate's Take, and I talked about on Ditch Busy a lot too. It's just the idea of like creating systems is a very simple for Or five, if you want to include the follow-up step process. And all it includes is like having that task list a set of, you know, what you work on every single day. So the exercise I recommend is um, taking inventory. And this is basically just having a sheet of paper or an online note-taking system that you allow to follow you around for a week. And all you have to do is write Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at the top. And for one week, just document everything that you work on. Every task that you work on, go into social media, answer emails, client call, create opt-in, work on email campaigns, send email to lists, like just literally jotting down. Doesn't have to be fancy. doesn't have to be super organized. It's just a very clear picture of how you are spending your time. And then, at the end of that week, you 'll be able to look back and one, this would be awesome for your task list. It would probably help you out a lot in in creating that. Um, but two, it will show you what you 're doing on a daily or weekly basis. And those things that you're doing daily are typically like low hanging fruit to be able to create some type of system around. So step two is writing out the steps and that would be taking a single thing, like say posting on social media. Let's say that that's something that you find on your list that happens daily or three times a week, or even one time a week, writing out the steps that you take every single time you post to social media would look something like, you know, Take the link for the blog post I just published, create an image, create text that I'm going to post, upload it on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, whatever it might be. So writing out those set of steps is the second step. The third step is figuring out what you can automate, delegate, and batch. So this is really where the system comes into play. So automation is anything that you can use like a tool or a software for. So in the social media example, that would be like, Hootsuite or meet Edgar or social, like, you know, any of the tools that you can use to schedule out your content. That's something that you can automate. Um, delegation would be anything that you um, have a virtual team member or. Or a contractor help you with. Um, so parts of that process might be like, let's say for the image that you use, you have one of your virtual team members create that image. So that's delegation. And then batching is really what's required of you. So maybe it's the engagement on that post after it goes live, or maybe it's the um, text X, ex- like, thing that you put when you post it. Um, So deciding whatever parts of that process you're going to manage yourself and then being able to batch that. So that would mean instead of me every Monday, like spending an hour in the morning, creating my social media posts that I'm going to publish that day. Like I'm going to set aside two hours on a Monday and I'm going to create a month's worth of social media content in those two hours. I'm going to batch that and do it like repetitively so that I'm ahead, I'm not stressed about it, I don't have to worry about like, am I late on this? And having a consistent schedule in place for that is going to make your content life so much easier. So what I mentioned before about, I know that I've mentioned some of these steps on Ditch Busy before, on Kate's take, I created an entire season that would just focus on systems. So everything that I just said right there in a very short period of time, I go into massive detail on. Um, and it's completely free. You can listen to all the podcast episodes. I have a blog post for every single one of the steps as well. And it's just at eofire.com forward slash season and the number two. That's my season on creating systems. So
1: Yay for systems. (laughs) Amazing. Kate's take just got a new power listener. (laughs) That's going to be amazing. I love it. Well, thank you. That's just such a great tip. Um, I'm a big social media automation nerd because I was a social media savant for a decade. That's like how my career got started. And I have to call out, uh, we have a guest coming on Ryan founder of cloud campaign, which is my favorite tool. So you'll be able to catch his if you're, if you're into that kind of stuff, but I remember one of my favorite episodes of ditch busy. You talk about wrangling email, which is one of my personal, just, I, I don't know. It's my mountain that I need to climb. I have an email from like The year Gmail was invented, and I'm so attached to it, and I can't divorce it, but I really need to just move into a different email. But there's so much stuff going in there, I have to figure out something. But you taught me about canned responses and how you organize your inbox, and it saved me a little bit from this monstrosity that is my inbox. So, if you would love to elaborate just on those nitty gritty. Like how do you organize your digital life? Because that's something a lot of people haven't figured out.
0: Yes, absolutely. Email is such a beast and it can consume your entire day in a very sneaky way. (laughs) Um, I totally get that. So I like to approach email by looking at it in categories. If you sit down, maybe take like 15 or 20 minutes to think about like if you were to categorize your emails into like four or five different categories, what would that look like? So when you think about what's coming into your inbox, you might have, um, like, cold email requests, people asking for you to be on their podcast, asking to be on your podcast, asking if you want to do a link exchange, ask, you know, any number of things that they're either asking you to do or asking if you'd like to participate in. So that might be just one category. Another category might be like client emails. If you do a coaching program or you have students, like any emails that somebody who's paying you money is sending you could be another category. And then maybe you have a category for like team members. So your internal team or contractors that you work with emails that you're sending back and forth about like project work or tasks or something like that. So your categories might look totally different. Again, if you sit down and spend 15, 20 minutes to come up with like the main high level categories of your email That alone is going to help save you big time because when you go into your inbox and I recommend only going into your inbox one or two times a day, having like set times that you check your inbox, So maybe you commit to, I'm going to check my inbox at 11 a.m. and at 4 p.m. and that's it. And I'm only going to be in there for an hour. I know that seems for a lot of people totally unattainable, but it honestly is just about accountability. It might not work out for you for the first week, but once you get into the rhythm of it and are able to like keep up with the... Categories and the emails and all the tools that I'm about to share with you. It will again, I know I've said this before, but it will change the way you work. I can promise you that once you have those categories, like when you go into your inbox, it's not, Oh my gosh, I have 50 unread emails. It's let me go look through these 50 emails and my categories. You're also going to prioritize your categories. So. Your internal team and people who are paying you money, like those are two pretty high priorities, right? Somebody who is cold pitching you or like asking you a very in-depth question about something like... Sure, you can reply to those, but that's where like canned responses or a template or a tool comes into play where you can say, like, I really appreciate this offer for X, Y, and Z. I'm not available at this time, um, but thank you so much. Or, you know, whatever canned responses you create for repetitive things that you get asked. A lot of people will ask us, what are your podcasting resources? And I have a canned response that, of course, I want to get back to them. That's a potential client and somebody who follows us. I definitely want to provide them value, but I can do that in a canned response and still deliver the same level of like value and care to that person. Being able to go into your inbox and look at emails in terms of categories um, will immediately help you like, okay, you might have 50 emails in your inbox, but you have one hour to spend in your inbox. And these 10 emails are your priority. So that just takes a lot of weight off from like that initial overwhelm of like 50 emails is a lot of emails. And then once you start implementing um, the canned responses and this is Gmail, but any email client will have, either canned responses or templates or something like that. So any email that you send repetitively, even if it's just like a paragraph and maybe you're customizing the rest of it to personalize the response, it still can save so much time to use like templates and canned responses then also boomerang for Gmail. And again, even if you're not using Gmail, other email clients have similar programs to this. And this is an awesome follow-up tool. So if I send an email and I haven't heard back from someone on something, I can boomerang that email back to me at in a time period that I choose to be able to follow up. And Follow-up is like one of the hugest misses that I see in business today. You can't expect to build relationships and have great client relationships and provide value and do all the things that we all want to do in our business if you can't keep up with your communication. Um, So Boomerang is just a great tool to help you out with that so you don't have to be like, trying to remember who you were supposed to reply to and then searching your inbox for it and on
1: and on and on. Schedule send is kind of my boomerang. So as a follow-up, I just, if someone says like follow up with me in a month, I'll just write the email right then and schedule it to them in a month. That's one of my favorite nerdy tricks that I've used. Yes. Yeah, so many good ones though. I could just, yeah, I could talk about it all day. I know a question I should ask is somebody who is so great at mentoring and coaching entrepreneurs. A lot of questions I hear are, I don't have an idea or I don't know what kind of business model. So it's not really like how to organize your day or your work. It's just kind of figuring out what to even do because there's a million options. Any of us could do at any minute as entrepreneurs, how have you helped guide people on their journey in that respect?
0: Yes, absolutely a question that we get a lot as well. Um, so a couple options, like good entrepreneurs who listen to our audience, <laughs> we created a completely free course called Your Big Idea, and it's all about helping you find where your passions and experience and expertise overlap, which is where a lot of the times you'll uncover like the idea that you should pursue for your business, for your podcast, for your YouTube channel, what have you. Um, so that's a completely free training. It's available at, available at yourbigidea.io. We have that training. Also, my partner, John, just published a book called The Common Path to Uncommon Success, and um, it's available on Amazon right now. It's available in bookstores. It is a 17-step roadmap to financial freedom and fulfillment. And it literally starts at the very beginning. Like you do not have an idea. You don't know what step to take next. Like here's your 17 step roadmap. And it goes all the way through to achieving, um, financial freedom and fulfillment in your life. So that book is also a great resource. So free resource and the book is paid resource.
1: (laughs) I love that you have an amazing resource for every single conversation topic. This is incredible. There's so much good stuff I could that's do. That's like nine years in the making. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. So I think every entrepreneur goes through that time where you're not maybe making money or you don't have an audience yet and you're just producing to crickets on the internet. I coach a lot of like entrepreneurs and clients as well. So how does someone get through that? And do you just hang in there Or is there a point where you're like, this clearly isn't working and I need to pivot? Do you have any advice in that respect?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate. I was there with my first business. I felt like I was creating all this stuff and doing so much hard work and not like hearing from anyone or talking to anyone. But I think a huge miss on my part is, was I wasn't putting myself out there. Like I was creating all this stuff and hoping that people were gonna come find me and that's just not how it works. So um, attending like mixers, networking events, online virtual summits, conferences, any type of like you getting in a room, whether it's in person or virtual with other people who are doing the same thing that you do or who are looking for what you have to offer is going to provide so much value, not only in the relationships that you'll build, but also in the priceless information that you can gain from having conversations with these people. I mean, if I could go back to all the areas that I feel like I missed when I tried to start my first business and that I've since done with our business now that have netted incredible results is get getting in a room with the people who I'm trying to serve. Again, that might be virtually in an online Facebook group or it might be at the next conference that you attend. Again, maybe virtual or in-person, who knows. Having conversations with people, learning their biggest pain point um, understanding exactly what it is that they're looking for right now to fill the void or the struggle that they're having is going to provide so much insight for like how you could either correct course or maybe hone in a little more specifically on topic or subject or idea or solution to people's problems. Because I think a lot of the times when we're putting stuff out there and we're not hearing back, it's either because we don't know who our avatar is Or we are not niche enough. We're trying to speak to too many people. And in doing so, it's getting lost in the massive noise that is our online space right now. So always be evaluating. Take a step back and ask yourself, like, do I truly understand who it is that I'm trying to reach? Like, I'm talking their age their annual income, where they live, what their house looks like. Do they have kids? Are they married? Do they work a job? Are they an entrepreneur? All of that, but also like, what are their biggest struggles? What's their biggest pain point? What keeps them up at night? And also what are their biggest dreams and aspirations? Like where do they want to be? Because what you're going to be providing through your business, through your content is a bridge from where they are right now with their struggle, not living the life that they want to live to where they want to be. And maybe that is spending every single morning with their kids before their kids go to school. Maybe it's traveling the world. Maybe it is starting an organization or a nonprofit. So whatever that is for your audience, like you really have to be So in tune with that to the point that like, you know, exactly what to create for them. And again, getting in those like either virtual or in-person rooms with these people that you think that you're creating this content for and having conversations with them will be so priceless. If they're
1: not coming to you, you have to go find them. That is such great advice. And you can figure out, I imagine, that avatar and who you want to serve through the big idea. And then once you know the audience you want to serve, you want to go find them digitally and you know ask them questions. Because sometimes I know I'm pulling my hair out thinking of my avatar if I don't know those people. So I imagine um, our groups, the places that you would want to send people to maybe find that customer and ask them questions.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such an easy access now. Like we're so lucky to live in this age and time where we can very easily find online, tar- like targeted groups. I mean, think of like the searches that you could put into Facebook or even I've even gone to Google and typed in like um, when I was starting Ditch Busy and I was in like my research phase and trying to figure out who my avatar was and what they needed most. So I was typing in like time management, online group, overwhelm online group. And I found so many great resources to just like see the conversations and the questions and the daily struggles that people were experiencing. I mean, that was like, talk about getting ideas lined up for topic-based episodes every single one of my episodes came from comments and posts that I saw in these groups. It was exactly what people were saying that they were struggling with.
1: That is incredible. I love that real life example. Very cool. And I guess that brings me to my next question, which is as someone who has created so much content, I'm sure you've had some of it really fly, some of it land flat. At this point, I would say you are truly an expert on what makes a really great piece of content. So do you have any special uh, tips or tricks on how to make something either like sticky or searchable or just resonate with your audience? Yeah, I mean, those co- it goes back to those conversations. Really,
0: it's like such a huge part of it because that's where you get the best topic ideas. But then once you do have those topic ideas, even just spending five minutes to do very basic SEO keyword research can really make a big difference in how you title your content, the keywords that you're using in your content. And then honestly, it's so dependent on your audience and what platform you're using or medium that you're using to get your content out. Like I could tell you that every single one of my blog posts is more than a thousand words, but like, that's what works for us and our website and our audience. It might not work for your audience. So again, in these conversations that you're having, you're listening and picking up cues for like, if all your people are ever talking about is how busy they are and um, how they're on the go all the time, then writing a thousand word blog post is probably not going to be something attractive for them. So maybe a 20 minute podcast episode would be, or a five minute video that they could watch like in between running errands or doing stuff. So, So much of like creating the perfect piece of content is going back to understanding who your avatar is and what it is that's going to fit into their schedule so that the consumption piece of it is like a no-brainer. Yeah, a lot of the
1: things I see with content creators is sometimes they feel like slaves to the algorithm, which is really tricky. And I know I do too. It's like, do I create this kind of like bland SEO optimized? This is what people are asking. Or do I get edgy and kind of like go off and write something interesting and viral? So it's definitely, I love that you brought it back to the avatar. That's a really good point.
0: And just doing tests too, right? You know, like sometimes you're not going to know, you can guess all you want, but until you know exactly who your avatar is, maybe you don't know if it's a five minute video or a thousand word blog post or a 20 minute podcast episode, but there are like pretty simple ways, especially with social media to put out a five minute video and then share a post that you wrote and like, keep track of those stats and go back and look like, did more people watch my video or did more people visit? my blog posts, like these are all things that we can track. So um, using that as a way to get you closer to like, that was for me in the beginning, a lot of what I did with the blog, I was throwing out topics left and right. I started it in 2013. I knew nothing, uh, very close to nothing about what our audience wanted to read about. I mean, I knew that they were entrepreneurs, but that's kind of a big pool, right? How the format of it was going to be. And so I was just throwing out inspirational posts, step-by-step posts, um, story-based posts. And and I didn't know which one of them was going to land until I started tracking. Like Mm -hmm. I got a hundred comments on my step-by-step posts and zero on
1: my inspirational posts. Like that tells me a lot. And I guess we only sadly have seven minutes left and I want to be respectful of your time, but I would say one of the questions I definitely want to get in before we wrap up is, geeking out on tools. So either microphones or cameras or software. Um, and then the second question I have for you as well as it sounds like you outsource to assistants. So any tips you have on hiring and finding the right candidate and training and figuring that out? Because I know that that's a big messy thing to untangle that a lot of us have to deal with.
0: Yeah. So um, on the tools and equipment side of things, are you looking for like podcasting specific or just like business and general?
1: I would say business in general, but if you want to dive down into microphones, that's totally fine. It's just a free brain dump. Go for it. Okay. Okay, awesome. Well, I
0: have two resources for both of these things. (laughs) Um, I actually did a top tools and resources season on Kate's Take as well. I'd have to check which season that is, but um, I kind of want to say that it was season six. So eofire.com forward slash season and the number six, and I review all my favorite tools and resources. But to share them now um, would definitely be like the boomerang for Gmail and the templates canned responses that we talked about. Asana as a project management tool. Tool. I love using ScreenFlow. Um, ScreenFlow has actually always been one of my favorite like video recording and editing tools. Um, so you can record your screen, you can record just you, you can record a presentation. So for creating courses and, and stuff like that, ScreenFlow is a really great tool. now there's Loom. Um, if you just type in L-O-O-M video, software. Um, it's just a, a browser-based video, and it allows you to record your screen, record yourself, and they've baked in now editing tools and all kinds of stuff into it. So Luma is probably like a little bit lower barrier, easier to just like jump in and start using. ScreenFlow has like kind of more advanced Um, Like you can add text to the screen and you can fade in and fade out and do all kinds of stuff with videos. So that's a great video tool. Text Expander is one of my favorite tools and Text Expander just allows you to create snippets for either words or phrases or sentences or entire paragraphs that you type out over and over and over again. So things like as small as your email address or your website, um, your scheduling link for your podcast or for your coaching call, you can um, create snippets for them. And so you just type like three keys and then it expands into whatever you've saved for that shortcut. I get monthly text expander reports and I'm typically saving around two hours a month, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's two hours of typing time. So like that is a lot. (laughs) And when you add that up over time, it makes a huge difference. So those are some of my favorite tools and resources. Then in terms of team, we love Virtual Staff Finder, which is a company run by Chris Ducker. And it's um, all based in the Philippines. So all the VAs are in the Philippines. What I love about Virtual Staff Finder is you provide them like a job description and the skills that you're looking for, and they go out and find you your top three candidates. So it kind of takes a lot of the guesswork out of hiring which can be really overwhelming when you're like sifting through tons of resumes and like it's a very time consuming process typically So for a virtual team, if you're okay with them being overseas, virtual staff finder is awesome. Belay, B-E-L-A-Y. It's for virtual assistants and virtual employees, but they're contractors. So you're not hiring someone on as an employee. You're just using contractors from Belay um, to help you out with social media, bookkeeping, whatever it might be that you're looking for. And then Third is ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter has been a sponsor of our podcast for years, and we've used ZipRecruiter to hire for our company as well. They, they're also awesome because you upload the type of position you're looking for. They post it to like over a 100 job sites, and then they sift through and bring you back your best candidate. So it's kind of like Virtual Staff Finder, but like you can find employees in the States, in person employees, virtual employees, part time employees, full time employees, like any, and with like such a range of experience, too. Anything from like a very seasoned web developer to like a social media person. And my resource for team and hiring and onboarding and training is eofire.com
1: forward slash team. Love it. Yeah. I was going to ask actually, you know, what is that hiring question and all of that? It has been so wonderful to connect. Uh, Where can people find you? So eofire.com
0: is our home base. Uh, I love chatting with people and I'd be happy to chat via email. My email is kate at eofire.com.
1: Wow. That episode was so much fun to film. I hope you loved listening to it. I have such incredible takeaways from Kate, including how to record everything you do in a week and then take an inventory and learn how to either batch it or or outsource it. I thought that was such an cool and incredible tip. I also loved all of her tips on how to start by solving a customer's problem instead of creating a product first. So I think that's why she and John have been so incredibly successful in their business. And it was just great and so much fun to hear about all of their travel. I love that we share that in common. And now I want to live in Puerto Rico so I can hang out with Kate all the time and have great conversations like this one. That was as mind-blowing and incredible as I had hoped i learned so much even though i've listened to all of kate's podcasts on uh, ditch busy which i highly recommend you check out that and entrepreneurs on fire which is an exceptionally amazing podcast what was your favorite takeaway of the episode please let me know in the comments below Or if you're listening to the podcast, leave a review. I really appreciate it. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the notification bell so you get notifications for every new episode as it comes out. It takes one second and it will make sure that you never miss another episode. Thank you so much, Kate, for coming on the show. Thank you for listening and tuning in. It really truly means everything that you watch this entire episode and smash that like button. It's such a pleasure to have you as a listener. I can't wait for the next show. You're going to love it. So be sure to stay tuned for next week's episode. See you next week on Money Self Made.